Uh, I've had a fucking hell of a week. Uh, the new doctor's been having me go through all of the records of all of the trans crew members to give them give her a, the dead names. I don't know why she said it was important. <laughs> um. It was. It's surprisingly easier than you think it is, though, because the computer on board the Enterprise is surprisingly transphobic <laughs> and and deeply oversteps GDPR guidelines. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, you want a picture of anybody in the world, in the universe's face. She's got it. See, the way that I got around it, because she also approached me and she said, I need you to go into the, the, the memory banks of the holodeck and basically get me everyone's fantasies from like the last six months so that I can use them against them in a psychological setting. So, which I was like, isn't that Commander, isn't that Councillor Troy's job? And she says, well, yeah, on paper, but... I, have you oh, ever seen now her Garnon's work? here. So, uh, she's on maternity leave at the moment uh, for, for, for 45 minutes. So, <laughs> she... Uh, so, I did that. But, but obviously, I don't want her seeing mine, despite the fact we have gone on many, many, many rambling, long conversations about how I hide my true intentions inside the holodeck behind what is a middling Dixon Hill adventure. Uh, quite easy to solve. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll lay in some clues throughout the rest of the season, and by the end of it, you'll be able to tell me that that Big Shugs was obviously the murderer because it only contains three characters: Dixon One of Hill, dead. a body, and Big Shugs. <laughs> <laughs> and it's set in a shack in the Mojave Desert. <laughs> so it's not that hard. But anyway, but I, I. Uh, I'm, I'm just waiting for her to, to crack that code. So, when, yeah. when she will, she eventually she'll get to to, to the point where uh, all of the people included in that fantasy have actually just put her face on, so that she can take from that what she wills and then never speaks to me again. That's a good plan. Like See, that. fortunately, fortunately, none of the really really sick stuff that I get up to is in the holodeck. But I I do have to go and help Riker get rid of some puppies later. Um, New ten forwards uh, looking good though, isn't it? It is. That reminds me. Uh, Crusher asked me to give Guinan a tenner if she managed to talk him into not going. I don't know what that's about. That's all she said. <laughs> Which uh, is weird because Dr. Crusher gave me a tenner to give to Guinan <laughs> to convince him to do it. <laughs> and if you've ever wondered why does Guinan have to wear such big hats, it's because of how many faces she has. I like uh, my favorite thing about Guinan is she looks. She reminds me a lot. She's very similar look to the star of my favorite movie, Theodore Rex, which I don't know if you've ever watched that on the holodeck. Mark is a movie about a crime-solving T-Rex, which yeah. is my second favorite movie featuring a T-Rex, <laughs> after Tammy and the T-Rex, <laughs> in which Denise Richards falls in love with a T-Rex. I run bad movie nights down on the holodeck. Uh, like it's it's a lot of fun. I've actually uh, turned the uh, plot of uh, Theodore Rex into an immersive experience in the holiday. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Dixon Hill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but the idea is that um, you play the T-Rex. So you think it's a fun action police comedy about a police uh, man who's also a dinosaur, but it's actually all about anti-dinosaur racism. And, you know, where, like... Should should the dinosaur join the cops? Because we all know that the natural enemy of the dinosaur is the police. So it's uh, it was a tough week, and Pulaski was all over me, uh, all over my shoulder, looking over, making sure that I was doing it right. It was quite awkward, to be honest. She's 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 weird, and I don't like her. I don't and like it's, it. it feels I don't know if I, well, I can put my finger on it, but it feels like. She's been lazily written, yeah. like like almost as if somebody took a pre-existing beloved character and just slapped a new name and gender on them and shoved them on on our ship. Yeah, uh, and then thought, uh oh, now we're going to have to devote five minutes of this episode to explain why an actor who didn't want to leave, whose character is intrinsically related to a character whose actor did want to leave 
uh, is in fact going to be allowed to stay on the ship despite it making very little sense whatsoever. Yeah, and and then and then equally, it also does raise the question of why the other actress who did want to leave had to be murdered. Yeah, <laughs> she plays the body in the Mojave Shack. <laughs> These are the voyages of Mark and Ellie, our ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. So yeah, no, this episode, well, this felt like actual Star Trek The Next Generation in a lot of ways that we haven't had before. Uh, Worf's at Tactical in the yellow. Yep. Geordie's the chief engineer. Um, Riker's got the beard. The uh, the helm Eve- and con uh, seats aren't so reclined back that you wonder why Geordie doesn't just fall asleep considering he can definitely get away with it. <laughs> and Wesley has taken his place as the as the main uh, helmsman. Yeah, I think, and got a decent haircut. Yeah, and yeah, every in general, like the camera moves around more, the cinematography is better, everything just looks better and nicer. So, anyway, um, well, welcome to season two of yeah. Star Trek: The Next Generation, um, and uh, yeah, the cinematography already a marked improvement yes at one point in this episode they use a camera crane which is allegedly the only time it's ever used in the next generation apart from one other time in the fifth season right okay that's (laughs) and i read that on memory alpha and i sat for a good three to four minutes trying to remember when there was a camera crane in this episode is it? Okay, I think I know when it is. We see a shot of Wesley standing at the window of 10 forward from outside. Uh, is the camera on a crane as it angles round? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because they'd, they'd, think... they'd film that as an interior yeah. and then, and then uh, composite it onto a model yeah. shot. Yeah. yeah, and we've got... We've got Guinan's on board now as yep. well. That's, uh, that's good that she appeared out of nowhere. Quite a quite a central character. Just yeah, popped on. And, Where did they pick her from? And and refused to answer any questions about her backstory, which I'd like to say is deliberately being mysterious. But given that there's still a lot of the same writers from season one, they just haven't bothered. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Um, <clears throat> so this is the child. Do before we start, oh. do we want to discuss the Gates McFadden hole? In in this and what allegedly has occurred, according to Gates McFadden. All right, yeah, I, yeah, I guess because this is a season into season, so that there would have been drama happening in between. And the fact that you've asked that question means that you already know a lot more about it than I do. So I'm more than okay. happy to, to defer to you on that. I I was looking into what happened, and basically Gates McFadden was fired. Right. Um. Uh. She was fired because, backstage, she was a vocal critic of the sexism in the writing of the show. So, to prove her wrong, they got rid of her and just replaced her with another woman. Um, (laughs) uh, And to be fair, Mark, as well, um, absolutely... Look, there were some problems in some of the episodes in season one. I'll give you that. But I guarantee you that going forward, there's going to be nothing troubling or sexist that could possibly occur in season two. So, without further ado, let's discuss this episode in which Deanna Troy becomes mysteriously pregnant without her consent. <laughs> um, yeah, right. So I'm going to um, because I one of the criticisms of, of this show is that a lot of people don't watch the episodes along with us, and we very rarely actually tell anyone what the plot is. So. Yeah. The plot of this film is the Enterprise is cracking along. 
on its yep. on its ongoing mission. And uh, a little weird ball of light flies inside the Enterprise through the outer hull, which seems dangerous, uh, into the inner hull uh, of Council of the Anna Troy. And uh, yeah, I, I've got in my notes it goes right up Troy. Uh, yeah, it's it's, <laughs> and we, that's not us as two dickhead wannabe edgelord comedians making a joke. That that is legit what happens. The thing flies in, it flies under her covers, and then the camera continues to pan up as it gets closer uh, to her body so that we can see her face. It's actually quite weirdly graphic. Yeah. It actually for... made me quite uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it's like I it, it, just like I I'm not going to tell anyone how to do their job. No. But if I was writing this, I would have had Troy asleep on her back and had it come in and like go through the through the belly. Uh into like into like into that way rather than it does come up the bed in a way that very much implies uh, it, like if we can go through the side of a ship it can go through the side of a betazoid. Yeah. Uh, that's 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 actually in Sun Tzu. <laughs> the revised edition. Um, yeah, and then I guess what else do you do? Like, cause you, cause my immediate thought would be to show it, to show the light come in from its point of view. Look at Diana Troy, and then cut away to something else, and only later discover that she was pregnant. The problem is that kind of itself raises further questions, which I don't yeah. think the. The, the writers of Star Trek The Next Generation were willing to answer so they were like no let's just do look let's do some let's do some some light non-consent to which one of the Harvard educated writers in the back who's written for SNL goes <laughs> light yeah that's good that makes that's funny <laughs> so she's so she's preggers right and 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 yeah. uh, in the meantime the the the, the, the the Enterprise crew are doing a pretty standard Enterprise thing. They have to pick up some vaccine from a place. Well, sam- it's samples of a deadly virus that could be used to develop a vaccine. Yeah. Is the plan? They're taking it from where the plague is running riot to a medical facility, and they've got a bunch of different samples to transmit. And the important thing is they've all got to be kept in stasis because if any of them get out, it will wipe out the entire crew. Yeah, because th- this thing's like COVID one million. Yeah, it will. It and will it, fucking annihilate everyone. And so, Jordy devises as new chief engineer LaForge. Oh, yeah. Devises uh, a sort of containment unit for it. He shows this off to Picard in a fun little three D model thing in the ready yeah, room. Yeah, I was quite impressed. When and yeah, they, and they handle like Jordy's promotion quite well because Riker walks in and Picard's like, "I'm just discussing with our uh, chief engineer," and he's like, <laughs> "He's like obviously doing that thing of like, oh, Jordy's got a new job." Yeah, <laughs> I was expecting uh, Riker to, as he was talking to Jordy, just whip out a small party hat to put on Jordy. Like, Here you go, promotion day. Um, so they, so they, and they, they get on like Starfleet containment unit experts who yeah. are, who are saying, "Look, you are not." I imagine that guy got got on the shot, got off the shuttle because he's he's kind of a, a head up engineer guy in Starfleet, and he's like, "Look, lads, I know that health and safety on this in this federation has been lackadaisical." I mean, times, I mean, to say the best, we we first see this guy. He's wearing a full body suit with a mask on, and like a big mask, and the mask bit is unzipped and flapped open. So this guy is exactly the sort of prick who doesn't put their mask over their nose. Which is, if I'd watched this episode of Star Trek three years ago, Mark wouldn't have given a toss. Nah. But now, fuck him. <laughs> However, I am impressed that it does show the major advances in zip technology. <laughs> but well, they could do that now. Roddenberry's not involved as because I don't know if you. I don't. This is a genuine thing, and I don't know if you're aware of this. Did you know that Gene Roddenberry was deeply anti-zip? I did know he, this actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he didn't believe they'd exist in the future. Don't know what he thought we were replacing them with, but Velcro, yeah. nature's zip. <laughs> so, so this, so, this, so we we get we get like a, um, like the equivalent of a oh, there's something very important I forgot to tell you. Don't cross the streams. Why? It would be bad. 
yeah. like that, like, please don't let this thing break, because everyone will die. Uh, so they get the, the sample sources on, and Jordy's like, my engineering is second to none. I have invented the quintessentially perfect containment unit, all of a sudden, beep, 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 one of them's fucked. Yeah, one of them's fucked because it's been exposed to some sort of radiation. Now, we should point out, by this point in the episode, Troy has had the kid. Like, Oh, yeah, that's pre- something we skipped over during the first ad break. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. So, from, from like, her getting pregnant to her having the child, to the, the, by the end of the episode, the child's about eight. Yeah. Like, it's it's so it's like on an accelerated time scale and it's basically that the radiation from the kid because it's a weird space kid is setting off the growth and then the kid tragically decides to die and everyone's real fucking sad but that's that's the basic plot of this but there's a lot of other shit we need to fucking unpack in this episode yeah uh i particularly want to talk about so troy Okay, there's a new doctor on board, and the first thing we but we need and in a good decent bit of writing to introduce both the new doctor and the fact that we've got a, a bar relaxation area being introduced. She's in ten forward, and like Picard's like she's been on board for like four hours and she's already on the piss. But it turns out she's there with Troy, who's like I'm pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's a scene in which I have so many fucking questions about. Because the next scene is we're in the conference room and Picard is telling everybody else that Troy is pregnant. Now, this is the important thing. At this point, they don't know that she's like suddenly three months pregnant without knowing the father. They just know that she's pregnant. Yeah, they don't know that she's space pregnant. Yeah. So at first, there's the question I would ask is nobody brings up, shouldn't she be telling us this? Also, I don't see how it's in any way relevant to a professional setting. Um, also, like, it should be noted that everyone is there except for Riker, who arrives a little bit late. And yeah. obviously, Picard, like, I, I imagine Troy was like, okay, now everyone was here, can I finally tell everyone? And Picard simply put up his hand and said, no, the man who needs to hear this the most, <laughs> the man who needs to hear of your indiscretion the most is not yet here, and by gum, I'm not going to be the one to tell him. Oh wait, no, 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 I will. I'll, I'll tell him. I'll, I'll break that news to him gently. So, they don't handle her pregnancy well to start with. There's some fucking red flags in the situation. But when they discover that she is space pregnant, Mark, there is a lengthy, a lengthy scene in which all of the bridge officers, who I'm going to remind you, at this point, um, there's Pulaski, the doctor, and then a group of men <laughs> <laughs> sit around and discuss whether or not Troy should have an abortion. Yeah. <laughs> and it was at this moment that I, I... I See, I've been baffled for years about a certain question um, that I don't get the answer to. Yeah. And this might have answered it. Because I think scenes like this might be why Ted Cruz likes Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's... It's it's awkward, isn't it? Because, you know, putting on our logic hats, alright, which is something that I I feel like doesn't get said enough at pro-rife rallies. (laughs) Putting on our logic hats... They're on a ship, and that baby, as far as they're aware, may be a potential danger, because they don't know where it came from, and it seems to be aging very, very quickly. That is a legitimate potential threat to the ship. But it's not framed that way, really, until after a bunch of men advise Troy to have an abortion. So, oh, except for except it should be noted, Data doesn't want to have an abortion because he wishes to study the child. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Um, I, there is there is literally there is a scene in this episode, Mark, where the child is being about to is being born, and Worf and a security team arrive at at, at sick bay, which I'm just gonna I want to repeat that 
right? Wharf and a security team arrive in sickbay. To, to put that another way, Picard wants to station armed guards at Troy's vagina. In, in, uh, including bigger, <laughs> stronger Wharf. Smiley joke. <laughs> yeah, it's... Pick, uh, Riker's, Riker's wanted to put guards at Troy's vagina for years, but that's for different reasons. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> right, here's my question. Do you think Gates McFadden watched this one at home? <laughs> Do you think she poured herself like, the is... biggest bottle, like glass of wine available, and sat there fucking smug, just being like, "Yeah, I'm clearly made the correct decision here. This is awful." Yeah, this is this is compl- she's complete. She, this is this is so she's so completely in the in the right yeah. here to to have. Yeah, this is like this is more se- this episode is more sexist than the sexist episode of the last season <laughs> yeah I think so yeah um so also Worf we need to we need to discuss how keen Worf is to kill a baby <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like he's got a checklist of things he's never killed like well never killed a baby but like there's like some Klingon hall of fame does his list include old man <laughs> Like they've got a list. It's like you've got to be able to kill it, and it's also got to be like for a good reason. Yeah. And like nobody ever gets baby. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, do you know what though? Uh, to to explain where this may have come from. So, this is one of the episodes that was affected by the writers' strike which is also what affected the neutral zone, which is why we don't actually get the Borg until a lot later. Uh, and this was taken from a Star Trek Phase 2 script. Yeah, it's got that all over it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, to me, and to, and to that to that point, Pulaski, the new Doctor, is reskinned Bones. Yeah. It's, it's, it's literally, and that's, that's they've, it, they've fully admitted she was just supposed to be Bones, but a woman. She's even got like a fear of transporters. I think they bring in later because Bones never used a transporter. But yeah, so yeah, so I could totally see how this is a reskinned Phase Two episode. Yeah, it's because it's Star Trek should always ask a big question, but I feel like there are some questions that Star Trek should never approach. Like, at what in what situation is abortion absolutely one hundred percent called for? to keep people safe uh, which a few minutes into the episode becomes at what point is child murder justified I am kind of upset that this episode isn't starring Kirk because I want to see the gamut of emotions that Shatner would go through upon finding out one that somebody on board his ship is pregnant (laughs) and they're having to rapidly try and remember whether or not that was his fault (laughs) (laughs) Uh, <laughs> so the little baby is born. Yeah, the, the little baby ends up growing up real fast. Yeah, uh, and Troy's bafflingly fine with all of this, and and and, and, and of course, Mike, we've got to mention, right? Troy has become pregnant from like a light, a presence she felt while she was asleep. Yeah, she doesn't know what it is. She is half human, but half betazoid. Yeah, um, the child comes into this world she's bafflingly fine with it it's a 36 hour pregnancy and there's no pain during childbirth yeah right and under those circumstances Mark I think we can both agree that it is not proper to name the child Ian (laughs) 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 if that is the circumstances of your birth I don't care that it was your dad's name Troy which is weird on on its own I don't like I just feel like like because even name it like Balthazar or something. <laughs> yeah, because he even because even if you don't think the word Jesus is like <laughs> holy enough, that wasn't that guy's name. His name was Yeshua, Yeshua yeah. of Nazareth. That's that's a that's a like if I'm going to have a revolution, Yeshua of Nazareth is absolutely the guy I want being the figurehead for it. <laughs> Ian, because <laughs> what's his son name? Troy. Ian Troy. 
Ian Troy. <laughs> Ian Troy sounds like the guy who's uh, who runs your local pub, um, but you know that he definitely changed that surname to make himself less findable by whoever he had swindled out of a bunch of money before. See, I, I, I think Ian Troy is the guy who comes along and like tries to bust you for not having a train ticket. <laughs> uh, like, it's like I can just see Ian, uh, Ian Troy on a little name badge. Hello, my name's Ian. Uh, just uh, here to check that you've uh, paid your fare. Uh, no, yes, yes, I'm a star child. Because uh... <laughs> uh, in, real, in real life, occasionally you find that a name does make something. And my favourite name in the history of, of names is the guy who, uh, well, ostensibly created Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. Um, you think, guy who created Dungeons and Dragons, guy who basically uh, created modern fantasy by running on the coattails of Tolkien... J.R.R. Tolkien, of course, Jolkin, Rolkin, Rolkin, Tolkien, a phenomenal name, right? You have to follow that up. You can't have a, uh, you can't have a Roy Smith be the guy who takes that on. So he made the correct decision. The guy who uh, created Dungeons and Dragons is, of course, Mister Gygax. Gary, Gary Gygax. Gygax. Perfect. Because if he if he'd called himself Caleb Gyfax, I wouldn't have had it. Are you familiar with the sandal of Gygax? No. It is, it is, a, it is a relic that is um, uh, taken every year to GaryCon and given to a new person to keep, and it is a sandal in a glass case. And the story behind it is, prior to um, Dungeons & Dragons, Gary Gygax was a cobbler, yeah, and he made shoes. And he was halfway through making a pair of sandals <laughs> when he got the latest like checks in from... Dungeons and Dragons and realised that he was now making enough money off of D&D that he didn't have to make sandals anymore so he stopped making that that pair with only one shoe Uh, that's phenomenal that's amazing (laughs) yeah I think I think Joe Manlio had it for a year Uh, because like yeah it goes to uh, the the actor from Spider-Man Joe Manglione is that his name yeah, 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 he's a massive D and D player. Yeah. His, his character Arkham the Cruel is in one of the books. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so uh, it's one of my all-time favourite things. That it's uh, like a real because it's such a stupid thing and it's so such a clearly D and D idea. Like, oh, we've got a magic shoe. Uh, <laughs> How successful and famous do you think I have to be before my character Simon the Blinder? <laughs> Who, who originally started out as what was his name? Simon the Unimaginative. Simon the Unimaginative, yeah. And, and then he decided you want to blind everyone. Yeah, we discovered <laughs> that the best strategy in D and D is to aim for the eyes. Because <laughs> because if you don't hit the eyes, you'll at least hit the face. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> to get us a little bit back on track, Riker uh, creepily watches the birth from. The, the door um, I don't think that's specific to Troy I think he does that every time a child is born <laughs> just to be sure just yeah he's, well he's wanking usually um, oh <laughs> come on now that's horrific no he's just he's he just he wants to make sure that it comes out with a full goatee and the, and, the, and the, as it comes out of the womb it sort of sidesteps over the labia that's how, that's how Riker knows that it has in- interesting Riker fact. Do you know? Are you familiar with um, you know TV tropes? Are you familiar with the the trope growing the beard? Yeah, uh, it's literally the opposite of jumping the shark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you know the story of how the beard came to be? Uh, I do not. No. So during the off season, Jonathan Frakes joined Gene Roddenberry at a Star Trek convention walked on stage with the beard and it received such thunderous applause <laughs> uh, that Gene then Gene, Gene Roddenberry known for his abilities as an MC and a frontman uh, turned to the audience and said how much do you want Commander Riker to keep this beard and very much in the affirmative so he convinced Jonathan Frakes to keep it 
it, yeah, spot on. And it Absolutely works. the right call. It yeah, works I think so it's Star much Trek better. Insurrection is the only other time we ever have him without a beard. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Okay. I, I don't. I don't understand how Jonathan Frakes can look at his face under normal circumstances and with a beard and ever think he should not have a beard. It is such a. I mean, yeah, it might add on a few years. Like he looks a little bit older, but it also looks significantly sexier. <laughs> yeah, and he it's, looks yeah. more in charge. Yeah, because I, I mean, look, surely the, the rest of the of, of of space should be used to coming up on a Federation ship and hailing it, and the guy on the other side of the hail being a twelve-year-old boy. <laughs> But at least with Riker now they know. Unless it's one of Riker's kids who is three years old in a little captain's onesie with a full beard. <laughs> I, I I just got this idea now that like at some point like they're gonna leave Wesley in charge of the ship and before the, like he walks off I just wanna see Riker take the beard off and put it on Wesley's face. <laughs> <laughs> now my boy, you are a man. Uh my boy. Oh no, sorry, I mixed you up with 37 other people on this ship. Okay. There's something that happens in this episode, and I I, I put this on a level of baffling with that waiter. <laughs> <laughs> Troy's kid, who is now like six, Aye. she takes it. And it should also be noted as well, I want to bring this up. Uh, Troy... Even when they find out she's going to be pregnant for 36 hours, Troy is still expected to be on the bridge at work. Right. So, Laura <laughs> Laura and I had quite an in-depth discussion about this. Um, how does maternity leave work in a workplace where you only are working for your own self-improvement? Because surely they, they must have female bridge officers who get pregnant. And yes. you're out. But they definitely do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, Kirk's around. Yeah, exactly. Kirk and Riker <laughs> have been around for a while. So, and, you know, there are randos on the ship. Like, there, there yeah. are people who are not crew. Uh, a, a lot of crew members come with their own families, like those grieving parents that Picard had to tell, oh, we're leaving your kids with these other people because... We can't afford to lose where this planet is or something. Picard, not not he he's not quite at the stage of making great decisions yet, really, is he? Um, um no. Um I mean okay, leaving aside leaving aside maternity leave. Aye. Mark, this episode ends with Troy's kid dying. Yeah. I I'm assuming there must be bereavement leave. <laughs> We're not going to see her back at work in the next episode. Surely, surely not, Starfleet. <laughs> I don't know, man, because in the scene where the child... Because the child... Well, it, as we said in the, in the, at the beginning, when I think we explained the plot, yeah, uh, the child discovers that the radiation that it gives out from being a magic space child is what's causing the <laughs> containment unit breach. Um, and sorry, so it decides but, but, to I, I, leave... I I'd like you to repeat that sentence again. Uh, so the, the magic space baby <laughs> discovers that the radiation that it exudes is what is causing the containment breach. And that is a, a factual sentence that you can say in relation to this episode. And we were talking about something before we recorded, and I just want to bring that up, um, which is we, we briefly touched on in our little conversation that we had before we started recording, that people who think Star Wars isn't as important as Star Trek because Star Wars is fantasy... Right, whereas Starfleet, Star Trek is apparently hard fucking science. Right, this is an episode about a magic space baby. <laughs> <laughs> magic space babies don't appear as much in Star Trek as magic space heads. No, no, or uh, uh, no, but equally, at no point in Star Wars do they come across Abraham Lincoln floating in space. <laughs> I would argue as well, and feel free to, to correct me on this because I don't read the comments, but um, I say that in Star Trek, Magic Space Baby is a plot point that occurs less often than have accidentally dialed a Stargate to a planet that has a black hole. <laughs> Which I believe happens twice. And I'm 
Or it might be just once in a clip show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I oh now you see here's the question because I'm 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 fairly certain that you're right that we have only got the one magic space baby. But I wouldn't put it past the Voyager to have slipped a magic space baby in where nobody was looking. It seems like the sort of thing Janeway would do. <laughs> slipped him and nobody's looking. Quite an interesting way to put that. Uh, uh, fucking Ian not, the Space Baby is, uh, Do you know what's weird right It's bizarre that this is a season opener And I kind of get it because obviously the writer's strike Did mean that They had to just take what they have And then just make it look as good as they could So they called up the guy who has the crane Yeah uh, And changed the colour grader But this kind of This is a nothing plot Like it's it's so obvious that the radiation thing is being caused by the baby. And even the characters seem to be aware of this. They don't even... It's not even... that the, the characters don't even... Like, they don't even work it out themselves. Yeah. The the space baby is like, oh, the radiation I'm exuding. Because it's like, oh, there's a, there's a radiation here. We don't know where it's coming from. Oh, hold on a minute. Maybe it's from that magic space baby. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's from the only other weird thing happening. Yeah. Uh, on this. Um, there is... We do we do need to discuss fucking Pulaski and uh, fucking bullshit with data. So yeah, so she mispronounces data's name as data, which I'm not going to get into the argument of, of of how you think that word should be pronounced. Yeah, it's data's name. Yeah, and in this context, he has a right to decide how it is pronounced, and he also and corrects her on it and he corrects it and also I'm going to say is if you're not particularly familiar with somebody in Starfleet I would say the correct way to address him would be lieutenant yeah uh, <laughs> um, and when he gets she gets her name wrong Pulaski pulls out her tricorder fake scans data and then makes fun of him for being upset she might as well have looked at her fucking tricorder and gone, well, according to these readings, you're an SJW snowflake cuck. <laughs> um, Something else, by the way, to just talk about Data's name, just because so, I discovered this, uh, just like to slot it in here, the slot it in here, uh, title of this episode. So, <laughs> the... In a... Uh, not a deleted scene, but a deleted, literally deleted shot from this episode uh, while I think it's Pulaski and Data are hanging out uh, we actually find out what Data's real name is like his official name uh, because he has to give his full name to the computer at one point and his full name okay. is NFN NMN Data because right. it stands for no first name, no middle name, or no first name, no middle initial, FMI, data, uh, because he just has a surname, which is weird, because surely, like, it, it, what's Worf's surname? O'Donnelly? <laughs> like, what a terrible well, no, fucking filing system. I don't have a middle name. Wolf, so, Worf's, well, Worf's surname is Worf, because he's... Lieutenant Worf, oh, no, Worf. Is it like Icelandic? Is it Worf? He's Worf, son of Moog, isn't he? So is it like Icelandic? Is his surname son of Moog? Moogson. Or is Moogson. his surname Worf? His name's his first name's Ian. His Ian first name's Worf. Mario. <laughs> <laughs> Mario Worf. <laughs> How is the filing system for personnel on Starfleet not set up for literally? Not even. Not even. I'm not. I'm not even going to go with like not even like alien names but any name that falls outside of the very specific western naming convention uh, yeah like because with Anton Chekhov I, I don't know what I don't know really how Cyrillic works the, the Russian yeah. language but isn't their A different from our A yeah and, and wouldn't his name be something like that and then Anglicised to Anton Chekhov and like is it Anton is that his first name no, yeah, not, I think so. No, it's Anton Yelchin so. played him. Oh God! Oh, fuck! Uh, pa no, it's, pa it's Pablo. Pablo. Pavlov. Pablo. Check. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but yeah, but like, if you're Icelandic, you don't. Your surname is literally 
it's either something son or something daughter, and it's yeah. just your your parents' name. Yeah. So your they their their phone book is like it's done by first name. Yeah. It's not. So that's yeah. That I don't. It seems weird that that would have been a thing, and nobody in the room was like. Oh, haven't aliens got weird names? Yeah, and Elon Musk's kid, who's clearly still alive by this point in the 25th century. Telling everyone that his dad invented Twitter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Where does that come in? <laughs> oh, God knows. He's going to have Trump back on, isn't he? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I personally, I, I, if we're getting into... I mean, we're, we're two men in our like mid to late 30s, so inevitably any podcast we do will eventually swing round to conspiracy theories about cryptocurrency um, <laughs> but I reckon much like his, uh, his his stunt earlier this year when he sold a bunch of Tesla stock uh, immediately allegedly to save myself some hassle here allegedly was immediately before the stock price was probably going to drop anyway as like a stunt to make himself look better I think he realises that Twitter is an absolutely unsustainable financial model and is buying it simply as a giant write-off. <laughs> I wouldn't put that past him. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I genuinely wouldn't be stunned if Elon Musk of all of the billionaires is the one I think is most likely to turn out to, like, it's an entirely a house of cards. <laughs> and there's nothing he's got nothing to show for it and it's all been like moving money like it, I wouldn't be stunned if it's a Ponzi scheme in the highest regard and I also want to say of all of the billionaires I'm definitely I'm not including Donald Trump who I don't believe has ever had a net worth of over a billion dollars except for the period when he inherited it from his dad up to when he lost it that's yeah. <laughs> there's the it was a downward slope and it's, he's it, never been back it, up above that it's a period number. of time that we call uh the lifetime of Ian Troy. That's how long he was a billionaire for. <laughs> the man went bankrupt running a casino. Yeah. I don't know how that's possible. So, um, it, yeah, well, it, it's, it's so, so Pulaski's a fucking dickhead. Yeah. Straight up. And possibly, I, I, I've seen some stuff online where, like, people read her as a turf. Yeah. Like, because it's like, oh, I don't respect your name that you've chosen yourself. Because she also, like, says, like, so Troy's like going to give birth and Data's with her at the time just because he happens to be the person who's with her and she's like and like Pulaski's like oh she doesn't need you she's going to need the cold the, the warm response of a human and I'm going to point this out as she's saying this she's talking to Data who's not a human and Troy who also importantly isn't a human either <laughs> <laughs> um, and then she's like no I'm friends with Data I'm fine with him being here and Data's like super respectful about it and like handles himself quite well for an unusual situation and yeah she's just like a dick and this is like a running thing where basically Pulaski doesn't accept that Data counts as a person because <laughs> she's a cunt yeah <laughs> <sighs> oh, oh fuck there is something in this episode I want to talk about oh, that yeah. I realised was truly fucking mental right so Troy's not busy counselling anyone. She's got massive amount of maternity and bereavement leave saved up <laughs> from this one 48-hour period. Um, oh, but <laughs> Wes is looking out of the window of 10 forward, um, and they're basically like, he was supposed to be dropped off. His mum's now head of Starfleet Medical, yeah, and he's supposed to be dropped off, but they're going to be a delay because of everything they're doing with this medical thing. So he's looking out the window and he's clearly having his oh I don't want to leave the Enterprise moment. And Guinan comes over to him and says, What do you see? In that like weird way that Guinan does where she's being quasi-mystical and wants him to open up about what he's looking at, stuff like that. And Wesley starts naming the stars he can see. I want to point out for those who don't understand why I'm up, why I find this strange. On Earth, we can point out the stars because we know the constellations and we've seen the night sky and they're all in the same place. Wesley, to know what stars he's looking at, must contain inside his brain a full 3D model of the entire universe, (laughs) or at least the galaxy. He must be able to work out 
where everything is in anything, where the ship is, he's keeping track of that location, and he knows what those stars would look like from his current point of view. It would require the intellect of a supercomputer to know that information. Yeah. Um, it, it, it cannot be... Like, it's the kind of thing that Doctor Who gets to do, right? You yeah, don't or Grant Morrison. Get, yeah, you don't, <laughs> you don't get to... You don't get to do that if you're just Wesley bumming around in 10 forward. Oh, it's a thing. Right. It's like, no, you can't possibly know what stars are out there. Unless, unless the only other alternative is that Wesley, before he goes into 10 forward, every time, asks the ship to name a couple of the stars he could possibly see out the window so that he can appear impressive if anybody asks. <laughs> in case any hot chicks wander into 10 forward. Yeah, you can just be like, oh yeah, just uh, check out such and such, and such and such and such. No way you know that. Uh, you know, double check the computer. I don't know and why my mind immediately jumped to this, but I remember I I follow Grant Morrison like a religion, right? And <laughs> at one point they were doing an interview. I think it might have been with Kevin Smith, which might have added to this. And, and, and like you say, that kind of quasi-mystical bullshit. Which I, which I love. It's like why I subscribe to Grant Morrison. It's why I love listening to Alan Moore. Like I, I love that the idea of mysticism combined with writing and and how it helps with creativity, right? And at one point, uh, they said, what was it? Would a, he was, they were talking to Kevin Smith and talking about uh, multiversity, which is like a DC run of 12 comics, wherein the previous issue is a universe, is in the current issue's universe, a comic book that they can learn from. And they posed okay. the question, what was it? Would a map of the entire universe itself contain the entire universe? And I remember thinking, oh. that's fucking, that's, that's deep. That's some fucking, that's some real mystical shit there. And then I thought about it for about 10 seconds. No, no, no it very much wouldn't. An atlas, an atlas doesn't have Denver in it because it shows you where Denver is. Yeah, that's like saying a map of London doesn't contain London. I know there is a there is a story, there is a book that um, does contain a country, like a, a country that has a map of the country that's so detailed it's the same size as the country. And I only know that that story exists because it was referred to very briefly in a two-hour-long review by Carl Calgreen that I just listened to earlier today of <laughs> all of Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen books. Nice. Which he brilliantly described as, I don't think this is the best thing Alan Moore's ever written, but it's very clear that Alan Moore does. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a really interesting book uh, called The Atlas of Imaginary Places, and it's a, it's a huge coffee table book, and it's basically an atlas of the entire world, but it maps out where all of the fictional places would be. Oh, awesome. It's awesome, man. It's really cool. I highly recommend it. I, f- I found out that, like, you know, like, obviously there's loads of... There's loads of places where they, um... They, like, there's loads of places that we all know, like, you Wakandas, you're Atlantises and stuff like that. Yeah. You expect to find these things in, like, fantasy, science fiction. Um, there's one... There's one in the West Wing... <laughs> they didn't want to offend anyone, so they just made up a Middle Eastern country to like have all of their Middle Eastern stuff happening. Yeah. Rather than because it was like the show was made while nine eleven, post nine eleven, they were like, let's not specifically mention anywhere. That seems like a recipe for trouble. <laughs> you, like in, in certain a country where one is is kind of is only theoretically meant to be. Oh, I'm not going to finish that joke. <laughs> Is it? Were you going to say it's between Iraq and a hard place? No, uh, that's a lot better than what I was going to say. I was, I was going to say, do you think a writer's shorthand for that is called doing an Israel? <laughs> but, uh, I'd, 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 I'd really rather see that cut out of this episode. I don't think that joke is good enough to justify how much grief it would likely give. Do, do you think? Do you, do you think Israel would be less problematic if it was called Ian? <laughs> <laughs> Um. <laughs> Ian Troy. <laughs> Who does she name him Ian after? Just her uncle her that's in the Masons. Oh, that's right. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Lux, uh, there's. Uh, I, I don't like. Um, 
uh, when she gives birth, there's no pain. And the doctor's like, oh, is this usual for betazoids? And she's like, not according to my mother. And I just want to say, of course, Luxana Troy is exactly the kind of narcissistic bitch who constantly tells her daughter, I went through 19 hours of painful <laughs> childbirth to bring you into this world. And then probably follows it up by calling her ungrateful. Um, my, my parents have threatened my brother and I to, to end conversations that they they know exactly where and and this is the key part how we were conceived <laughs> and I know enough about conception that I'm like if you have to specify a how it means it was fucking weird <laughs> um talking of fucking weird let's discuss the puppies mark <laughs> right okay right so Ian, Ian Troy um, goes to Starfleet or goes, goes to the Enterprise the sort of nursery sort of kindergarten looking place and yeah. there's a there's a bucket of puppies well, there's there's like a a playpen full of puppies and Which I, I want to point out Mark the first point my first time since we started doing this podcast that my dog has taken an interest in anything to do with Star Trek <laughs> like they started going and my dog immediately got out of bed and was like what, what maybe your dog just really dogs? prefers Pulaski to, to <laughs> Russia but it, and, and, and he phrases it doesn't he he says oh today they had puppies which yeah. where did the puppies come from not, not only that he says to Picard you should come visit whilst the puppies are still there so, I have certain troubling theories about this. Do any of them involve Ensign Jensen? <laughs> they do, but <laughs> they okay. Something we've not we've kind of touched upon. Um, I think we need to address at this point is the, the the transporter does work by creating a new version of you and killing the previous version. Yeah, it's it's like uh, that's like seems like a joke. But like in later episodes, it will be confirmed that if the transport goes wrong, a version of you gets left behind. Yeah, right. Can so you can't replicate a living being, but can you pull one out of the transporter? So for anyone who's listening to this, who uh, is maybe younger than the thirties, in the original generation of Pokemon games. And I believe they did not fix this in the second generation gold and silver. Uh, if for some reason you you don't know how Pokemon works, you trade them between players. And you do that by hooking your Game Boy with your copy of the game via an almost USB looking cable to another Game Boy with another version of the game. And you trade them back and forth. But the only way to make that work uh, with the hardware limitations of the Game Boy is that it couldn't be a two-way system. It had to be one is sent over first and then one is sent over second. And yeah. if you... I can't remember what the what the order the is. cable out at the exact right time yeah, as well. If you turn the, the power off on one of the Game Boys at the exact right time, you can effectively clone a Pokemon. But the problem is uh, the other Pokemon, usually a Rattata or a Pidgey, is effectively destroyed. And and left in limbo between two Game Boys, by which it will never receive. Which I can, I can only imagine it is as as a hell, like not even worth trying to comprehend. Yeah, like like it's I have no mouth, but I must scream. You're constantly, forever stuck as a digital ghost yeah. in the null space between systems until eventually. By some good fortune, wherever you are, gets overwritten. Yeah. Uh, but until that day comes, it's just. And it's all good and fun thinking about that for like uh, electric mice. Yeah. Or psychic cats. But when you put puppies in the mix. And specifically, I think we've got to mention specifically like Golden Retriever, Labrador. Oh. Absolutely incredibly like, cute puppies. Like top notch puppies, which I guess also brings to heed the question. Uh, what is pedigree breeding like in the 25th century and are they essentially have they just decided to just go full eugenics on it <laughs> they're not rescues which no. you'd hope they would be the okay 
I know some of the listening to this might be thinking, well, obviously they're puppies, they grow up to be full dogs, and they're the pets of people on board the Enterprise. You can't have a pet dog on a fucking starship. Where do they walk them? Where do they go outside? Where do they play fetch? Holiday. Is it, what, what, is, is everybody who's got a dog meeting up? Like, okay, later on, yeah. like Data's got a cat. I'll buy that. Yeah. I'm fine with that. I see how that could work. I don't think it's fair. My question is... One time I was hanging out in the basement of my Mojave shack and, <laughs> and I, I heard a group of dog walkers walking by, which is weird because the in in the in the actual coding of that fantasy, there were no dog walkers. <laughs> oh, no, I put those in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, but I can only assume that those puppies are spaced or they're just taken away after the kids have had a chance to play with them. They take them down to transporter room three, just put them in a bag, hand them over to O'Brien. They don't say a word. He knows what's got to be done. <laughs> and he just scatters their atoms across the spaceways. First, uh, first proper transporter room appearance of uh, transporter chief Although, O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, we got him doing some great transporter acting. Uh, doing like, oh, I've got to raise my eyebrows slightly. This is complicated stuff. Um, and hoping that Geordie never asks him what, he, what's, what he's going to do with that sack of puppies. <laughs> Look, son, you're old enough to know now. We're taking this bag of puppies to the river planet. <laughs> the thing about it that's so baffling is they could have just done the puppies on the holodeck. And yeah. I would have been like, oh, they're holographic puppies, that's fine. But they weren't. They were just in a room. And it's going to trouble me forever. <laughs> uh, all in all, it was fine. Yeah. It was it a was bit fine. of a non-episode to start a season with. Yeah, it doesn't, like, yeah. like we said, the, the way you do this is, if you're going to kill Tasha Yar... And apparently, I imagine by the time they got to the end of season one, you knew, like, there'd been a, a back, there'd been a, a conversation in the back room about that gobby Cal McFadden. Um, um, well, the sort of people who think Angela Rayner's using her legs to distract Boris Johnson, right? You know, like, kid, like work, like work it into your plot, like yeah. kill, kill him off over a cliffhanger, and like then come out of it. But though, they, I, I feel, they, you know what this felt like, and it's it's. It's a really weird feeling I got. I feel like season one was the pilot. Yeah. And then, like, that was, like, never supposed to be seen. And this is, like, the first episode. But they've not had to introduce a bunch of characters. They've just introduced one. Yeah. Oh, also, we should mention Wesley stays on board. Yeah. He meets with Picard, who's like, I'm fine. And Worf says he'll tuck him in. Uh... (laughs) It's weird. Um, where, does he live on his own? I guess so, yeah. He's, does that make... Because he must be, what, 13? Yeah. Is Wesley's quarters like the party quarters, then? Will there ever be an episode... I imagine a Geordie episode where we... Um, explore the age of consent? Uh, you say a Geordie episode, but Picard clearly says that Riker's in charge of making sure Wesley grows up to be a real man. Oh, that's right. So yeah. well, we've uh, seen that already. Yeah, yeah. It's like right. What what that consists of? One of the most important lessons is Riker goes to the holodeck and he loads up his program his program that is specifically for spotting the age of consent, and he loads up two identical looking women, and right, Wesley's not allowed to leave until he works out which one of these is the day before their uh, 16th birthday and which one is the day after. <laughs> and they can only answer yes or no questions. <laughs> Computer, right. lo- load up a uh, program, Jailbait Volume 6. <laughs> and, then he, and then he turns to Wesley and like, you don't want to know what the other five were like. <laughs> One's just, for some reason, Ian Troy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and that, that one's like a Kobayashi Maru situation because it's like well technically if you just wait <laughs> right. 
Right, well... Well, that, was, that was that. That was that. It's a weird, weird episode. I don't know what's. I don't know what the next one is. So. We're, we're coming up on a Sherlock Holmes one. Hey. So if you've stuck through, if you've if you've been like, thank God they're finally on season two. This show might actually start getting a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, well, we'll give you that when the time hopefully comes. Hopefully, the sh- hopefully the Sherlock Holmes episode doesn't at any point feature a lot of men sitting around talking about one of the characters needing to have an abortion. <laughs> but if it wants to be accurate to the time period that Sherlock Holmes is set, maybe. I, yeah, uh, but anyway, Jeez. thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. The Captain Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at Real Mark O'Neill, and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and now on YouTube at Captain Slog, and we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.